0: Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we're going to start from verse 4 all the way through verse 12. Uh, we are in part 3. Uh, those of us who are just recently joining us, we decided to start a whole new series called Nevertheless, And we are studying the book of 1 Peter. This is something that I could promise you, along with Pastor Bo, is that if you stay in our church long enough, that you will be rooted in the Word of God. Because there's some benefit of teaching topically. But also there's a lot of benefits of teaching the Word just book by book. And if you are with us long enough, we'll cover a majority of these books. Now, they're 66, so I don't know. I mean, we could cover like maybe a handful in a year. So maybe when you're about 60-some years old, we're like, we covered the whole Bible or something like that. But I, I pray that not just on Sundays, but just your own personal study that you'll be able to study and grow through the Word of God. There is nothing else outside of the Word. I I mean, prayer, yes. Uh, fellowship, all that stuff, it's good. Life group is good. But when everything's all said and done, uh, who knows? You're in that prison by yourself. You're like in exile somewhere uh, and all you have is the word of God uh, that is the only thing that will sustain you so I pray that that hunger to keep on growing through the word will always be there and God has to put that in your heart so uh, don't despise or have a disdain for even the BRPs I pray that it will just be a habit that you will continue to develop so hopefully you've turned to 1st Peter chapter 2 starting from verse 4 I wanted to start off and I'm just wondering how many of us here have ever kind of thought pause for a moment and wonder to ourselves am i making a difference those are the kind of questions that i ask often especially when i'm kind of going through the mundane things of life or maybe certain things that you expected to happen is not happening so you kind of sit there and you're thinking to yourself like am i making a difference is whatever i'm invested in is it making an impact not only in the people that i love but the things around me, whether it's at work, whether it's a school, wherever it may be. I'm wondering if some of us kind of vacillate and then go to the other side, and we wonder to ourselves that even in some of our investments of time and energy, if some of these things are falling short and we're not seeing the things that we want to see. And I think there's something very powerful of being reminded by other people and sometimes God in his mysterious ways through circumstances, reminding us that what we're doing is not only well worth it, but in his timing, there will come fruits that we can see with our own eyes and experience. If not here in this lifetime, that we know for certain that there will be rewards for us when we go to heaven. And those are the times when you hear a word of affirmation a word from somebody to encourage us that you are making a difference. It can come in a very anonymous way or somebody that you know very well and they tell you verbally to you in your face and in a loving way to say thank you so much for all the investment you have made uh, in my life. And the reason why I'm asking and starting off this way is because I think for many of us, we struggle in trying to live this Christian life especially with all the different trials and difficulties that you are facing and you will face. And you wonder to yourself, is this Christian life really worth it? Uh, there was a, this one campaign that this one organization decided to do. It was called Hashtag uh, I Am Enough. And what they did was they ended up putting this mirror in a shopping mall. Now, this is not always the case, but I would definitely say when women look in the mirror, because we live in a very, in a culture that's very focused on external things, a lot of women struggle with body image and they struggle with just the things of life. And so they, this is not just a girl thing or a woman thing, but men struggle with it as well. But more so, if you do the research, if you study it, you realize more women struggle with just what they see in the mirror. It's not just physical. It's also just things that are inside when they look at themselves at the mirror. Did I shortchange myself? Uh, Did I make all the difference that I wanted to make when I was younger? And so these are the thoughts that come through the mind. So that's why they started this thing where they put a mirror uh, in the shopping malls and behind the mirror, it was all remotely controlled. They had different people speaking into this mirror to that person. And so I wanted to show you this video of what they ended up doing. And uh, pretty much the family, some of the family members were involved in this without that person knowing. The mom or the grandma, whoever it was, Uh, they, they just had no clue that they were in it. But they gave the information to the people and then they were speaking those things. And what I want you to see this as you're watching this, what I want you to capture is that oftentimes you go through life and you don't realize the impact that you make because you don't see it with your eyes. But it's only when you're able to stop and when there are people who can remind you that what you have done for them and around them has made a huge impact. And that's where the affirmation and the encouragement comes along your way. So let's watch this together. Wouldn't it be awesome if we had a mirror like that every single morning? Someone speaking to us, talking to us, reminding us. As I was kind of watching that video, it just reminded me how many of us right here in this room and in our church, uh, we struggle, we constantly struggle and we fight lies and deception that go through our minds on a daily basis. And I think this is the reason why we need each other. Because if you're by yourself and you're trying to believe this, a lot of times you're not. Not only do you have spiritual opposition, but there are so many things around us that we start believing in things that are either not true or things that appear to be true, but that's not God's heart. And that is why I believe for either some of us here, we go to the two extremes. Either we feel like we're not worthy or good enough. Or we go to the other side and we think that we don't need anybody, not even God. We'll take care of this by ourselves because we're self-sufficient and we're able to. And I think this is the reason why truth, when truth is presented, and then we allow it to take root into our minds and in our hearts, that's when you can really be set free. And we especially need the truth when we're going through trials and suffering. Because it's during those times when it's easy to believe that God doesn't care or that he's not powerful enough to change the situation. And that's why I, I want to kind of encourage us to kind of think about this for a moment as we get into this text. Because we're going to talk about why it's not something that we fight alone, but we do this as the body of Christ, as the church community. We have to remember our true identity, which is, as many of you know, being a child of God. And because you understand that we need these reminders through His Word, and also through biblical community, as I just mentioned, as well as just being able to experience Him through the difficulties of our lives. We have to see Him being more than able in those situations, to be able to meet us right where we are. And this is when you're going to experience a new sense of freedom in your personal life. Let me just give you a quote that I thought was interesting. Uh, Henry Nouwen, in his book, The Inner Voice of Love, he writes this, and I think this is very appropriate for us as we open up this passage. It says this, Your true identity is as a child of God. This is the identity you have to accept. Once you have claimed it and settled in it, you can live in a world that gives you much joy as well as pain. Can I just pause here? Just because you become a Christian does not immune, it doesn't immune you from the different difficulties and pain that all of us will feel. But it will change our perspective at how we look at it. So whether it's joy or pain, you have to settle in and claim this identity as a child of God. He continues to write and he says this, you can receive the praise as well as the blame that comes to you as an opportunity for strengthening your basic identity because the identity that makes you free is anchored beyond all human praise and blame. You belong to God and it is a child of God that you are sent into the world. It might take a great deal of time and discipline to fully reconnect your deep-hidden self, and your public self, which is known, loved, and accepted, but also criticized by the world. Gradually, though, you will begin feeling more connected and become more fully who you truly are, a child of God. There lies your real, and if I could put in there, true freedom. And that is the only way we're going to be able to experience what God has for us. As you know, we're continuing in this series and we've covered chapter one already. And that's why when Peter wrote this book, he just established the importance of who we are. That we are God's chosen elect. And there's this whole idea of being born again. Why is that important? Because we were not just born again by human means, but it was a supernatural thing. That it was purchased with the price. You by yourself, in- inherently, because we are made in the image of God, we have value. But it was not purchased through redeemable things such as money or gold or silver, but they were imperishable, undefiled, holy things. That's why we have value as a child of God. So he established all this and then he talks about trials while knowing that and growing in maturity and more of Christ likeness and why that's connected to trials and how that purifies you so you can love God and love people around you and to love the things of God, the purposes of God, not your own little selfish little dreams, those petty little things that will fade away but to love him and to love the things of God So the one thing for this morning I want to share is simply this, that when we have a church community, that we can face any adversity. It doesn't matter what you are going to face in your life, but when you have this biblical community that many of us already have experienced and we've been talking a lot about during especially these kind of times, we need one another in order for us to face some of the adversities we'll go through. So I want to just kind of highlight two things that we, when we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, two things we are reminded about having a, a community, a church community, so that we can face any adversity in our lives. The first thing that we have to understand is that it's God who is shaping our community. God is shaping our community. If you remember, we we, we did talk about in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 and 3, the tail end, or the beginning part of chapter 2. But that was the tail end of my sermon from last week. And if you remember, he was talking about the importance of drinking spiritual milk. Which is the word of God. This is the only way you're going to grow. And part of the reason when you think about this is because when you go through trials and suffering in your life. You're going to constantly be tempted to turn to your flesh and to your self-centeredness. Don't ever forget that. When you go through difficult times, you will always be tempted to turn to your flesh and to your self-centeredness. And this is the reason why he made it very clear that you have to drink the spiritual milk, the word of God, to grow and mature. So that when the trial comes, you won't turn to those things That will constantly lead you into bondage and to other things that will pull you away from God. That's why in chapter 2 verse 1, he makes it very clear. He says what? Put away all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy and envy and any slander. A lot of these things deal with attitude and things that are spoken. And that's what happens. This is why gossip happens in a church, in a community. You got selfish people who are going through whatever they're going through and instead of turning to God, they're allowing their flesh to rule their lives. That's why they don't think about other people who might get hurt from that gossip. They don't think about other people that they're slandering and what that will do to them and their reputation. You you have no care about those people because you're self-centered and you think about yourself. Because you're feeling hurt. You're not getting your way. People are not understanding you. You have all these issues. And because of that, instead of turning to God, humbling yourself, you turn to your flesh. That's why I think it's appropriate. And to me, as I've said many times before, it's a sign of spiritual immaturity. You need to grow up. I don't care how long you've been going to church. I don't care how old you are in terms of your age. I don't care if you won all the Bible study contests in your life. It doesn't mean anything. I've seen a lot of people who are spiritually immature, but they have a lot of head knowledge. True spiritual maturity comes as you learn to love God more than yourself and other things of this world. When you're able to then love people, which is the greatest commandment, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, especially when it's hard to love them. So don't be fooled. Don't be looking at how much knowledge they have. It means nothing. Look at how much they love people and how much they love God in obedience to Him, regardless of how difficult and how hard it is. That's how you will know if they are mature in Christ. Now Peter, after mentioning those things in chapter 2, he focuses his attention on the importance of God's community and how it plays a role in handling the difficulties and the trials of your life. So let's go ahead and start with verse 4. I'm going to read verse 4, and then we're just going to take a verse at a time and see how everything kind of pieces together here. Because once again, this was one long letter, and we're just taking it piece by piece, but we need to start weaving it back together so we see his flow of thought and his logic. Listen to what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting from verse 4. He says this, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Now, let's just pause here and look at this. The phrase, as you come to him, is referring to this personal and habitual approach to God. So once again, as he talks about spiritual milk, talks about maturity, talks about the Word of God, what you will understand is simply that the intimacy that we have with God is such a vital part of your ability to go through trials and sufferings in your life. To this day, I have not seen people go through some difficult times or even try to make difficult decisions when they're far away from God. That's why I've advised a lot of people, don't make any life-altering decision if you know in your heart you haven't spent time with them or you're not close with them. Because almost most likely you will choose what is easier, which might not be his will, or you will choose things that are very self-centered. That's why he says as you come to him, and this is something that you have to do daily. Especially when you're going through the difficulties, you come to Him. But that's not our flesh. Our flesh always wants to go to ourselves. We want to go to other things. We want things alleviated in our lives. But He says, as you come to Him. I want you to notice, you see the word living in verse 4. And this word is very important because you'll see this word even in chapter 1. We saw this. We see in chapter 1 verse 3, Peter uses the word Living in the context of living hope. Which comes through what? Through being born again. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a hope that's not like a hope of the world, but it's a living hope. Because we have a living God. Can I get a good amen to that? Because we have a living God, because He rose again from the dead, and because He gave us New life, which is born again. We're born again. That's why we have this living hope. Also, in chapter 1, verse 23, he used it in the context, the word living, in the context of living word. Because it's the living word that enables us to be born again. So think about this. He already uses these two uh, this word two times. In verse 3, and also in verse 23, For living hope and living word. And now he refers to Christ as the living stone. As you know, Christ was rejected by people. But it says here, God chose Jesus and saw him as precious. Let's go ahead and read verse 5. Listen to what it says here. In verse 5 it says this, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pause here. Now, as we're looking at this next verse, there are a couple things that resulted because of Jesus being the living stone. So this is where we're going to talk about the importance of community. The first thing that I want you to notice is this, that you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we form God's house. We are the church. Everyone say, we are the church. Church is not a building. That's why it's okay that we don't have a building. Well, depends on how you look at it. It'll be nice, but it's not absolutely necessary to be the church. Amen? We, we don't go to church. We are the church. So once again, turn to somebody and say, you're the church and I am the church. Come on. So here's Jesus, the living stone. And now we form God's house, which is the community of God. Now, as Jesus was the living stone, we like living stones, small s, are being built into his spiritual house, it says here. This is the metaphor that Peter uses. What we have to keep in mind is that the church is made up of people who are being transformed more into the likeness of Jesus Christ this is why as we have stressed in our church time and time again it is important that every single one of you in this room considers this your church that you have a significant part in this is the reason why I mean if I offend some of you I'm sorry but I'm gonna tell you very clearly I in a city like Hong Kong the ability to find another great church, because many of these churches are great churches. It's very hot. And what I've noticed is this, is that there are, like I said, with a city this big, with all these great churches, it is very easy to see people hopping around. When I was, uh, when some of us were in Ann Arbor, We didn't have that many choices. So even if you hated our church, you're like, let's serve two evils. Okay. So they will stay in our church. Now, we did struggle. In in my heart, I had to repent because I wanted them to leave. But, you know, you cannot do that. This is not, you don't fire people. You don't do it. So you're like, okay, Lord, just give me more love. That's That's what I've been praying. But with a city like Hong Kong, there are many good churches. And something that I've encouraged, and those of you who just recently joined us, maybe you're like, oh my God, how did he know? Is he talking about me? Please, I am not talking. I won't even look at you, okay? I'll look over here. I'll talk to the drums. Oh, I didn't know it was yellow. Anyway, I'll talk to the yellow drums. If you're from another church, and I'll say this very clearly, if you were committed, then I would say you need to have a conversation with that pastor or that leader or whoever was overseeing you. And don't just leave because things are hard. Wouldn't that be awesome when you get into a fight with your family, like see a new family? But it doesn't work that way. Because if you really believe what the Word of God says, that Jesus is the living stone, and we are also the living stones, the small stones, we are like a brick, and we're building God's spiritual house. And if you're part of that house and then you decide, I'm going to just leave, then there's that hole. But I do understand that there are times when different seasons of life, different visions, different things that God might call you to do. So then you move on to another place, which is fine. But like I said, the most honorable thing to do is to be able to talk to that pastor or your spiritual leader and let them know so that you can leave on a good note. So many people, they're afraid of talking to that pastor or to that leader. So many people, it's just easier to kind of slip out. You know, MIA. And when I think about that, I realize they have a very bad bad view or just an unbiblical view of what the church is. If you believe that you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are the living stones and we're being built into this spiritual house and then all of a sudden you decide to just kind of leave I just don't think that's a very biblical mindset that doesn't mean you have to stay like I said some of you might have to move on which is okay so we want to bless you and then when you go into the new community to be able to now say I want to commit to this as I'm part of this spiritual house that's why you will notice here Even Apostle Paul reminds us of how we are forming God's house. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. Just read the bold type with me. It says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is, Being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Listen to what the message translation says just in verse 20. It says this, now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. What what I'm trying to help you to understand and what Peter's trying to say is this. As you get to know more of who you are in Christ and as you face the difficulties of life, what he's helping us to understand is you cannot do this by yourself, that you and I, because of Jesus Christ, we are being formed into God's house, the spiritual house. And that's why it's important to see our community as part of who you are, as well as what we're becoming. Can you imagine all the people who are yet part of God's house, our house here? Have you thought about that? If I were to say, how many of you would love to live in a 2,000 square foot house? Like, can that be? Is there ever a place like that in Hong Kong? You got to go further up north. Like think about that for a moment. However space whatever space you have if you're able to like double it or triple it some of you four times it. Just think about that for a moment. Would you not want that? If you had the ability to expand by the other complex or apartment next to you tear down the wall now you have a duplex. How awesome would that be? Now some of us are not even paying attention to my sermon. You're just sitting there. That would be so awesome. Think, Think about it. That's what we've been trying to encourage you to think about when it comes to our church. There are still people who are not part of this fold. That we want to make room for. Because those who are believers or who will come to know Jesus Christ. They're going to be part of the living stone that will make up our spiritual house. So I want you to think about this. The first thing, as I mentioned, is that we form God's house. As we're talking about community, how it's important that God is shaping our community. So we form God's house. The next thing that I want you to notice is that not only do we form God's house, but we function as God's priest. We function as God's priest. The Apostle Peter uses the priesthood imagery. And in the Old Testament, as many of you know, priests were to represent God to the people and the people to God. And the way they did it was they offered sacrifices to God to atone for their sins, to remove their sins. And that's why the people will come, bring their animal to the priest. The priest will then have them pray over it and then they'll kill the animal spill the blood and sacrifice it on the altar in the temple as a forgiveness and the remission of sin. So why is it that Peter now, as he talks about that we are living stones built into this greater living stone who is the cornerstone that we're being formed into the spiritual house. Why is he now mentioning and using the metaphor of a priesthood? Of the collection of priests coming together. Well, many of you who do know Bible history, you will understand that God saw the Israelite people as being the priest for the nations. Because many of these nations around Israel, they did not know Yahweh, they did not know God, Lord Almighty. So they were supposed to live their lives and be a light to the Gentiles, to those who did not have the covenant that they were so blessed with. And so as they lived their lives, they were supposed to proclaim the goodness and the greatness of God. And so in that way, they are to represent God to the people, the nations. And then the nations, then they will represent to God as they intercede for them and pray for them and share the good news. Are you with me? Can I get a good amen? If you understand what I'm trying to say here. Now, with that in mind, you will see in Isaiah chapter 61, Verse 6a, Alpha, it says this in the ESV. And you will be called what? Everyone just say it. priest of the Lord. And you will be named ministers of our God. So this is clearly in scripture that the Israelite people were supposed to be called priests of the Lord. And they were supposed to be ministers of God. And that word minister, if you study in the the original language, it means to serve. So they were to serve. But now since we have the great high priest, Jesus Christ, and as believers in Jesus Christ, we are now also made as priests so that we can serve and minister unto God. Let me give you another verse. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, bravo through 6. It says this in the NIV. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sin by his blood, referring to Jesus Christ, because of Jesus it says, and has made us to be a kingdom and what? Priest to serve his God and Father. So listen to me carefully. Because of Jesus Christ, who is now our greatest high priest, he is a great high priest who interceded for us because our sin, we could not approach God, but he died on the cross, so then he became the sacrifice. So now he represents us to God and God to us. Now we are in that line of thinking, we are also priests. So the responsibility that we have is that we are to represent God to the people and also on behalf of the people, as we pray for them, we intercede for them and plead to God for them. Now, why is all this important? Because we don't have to kill an animal. Thank God. Everyone say, thank God. Thank God we don't have to kill any more animals, bats. And uh, other weird stuff. Thank the Lord. So what do we do? What is our sacrifice to God? Well, Scripture tells us. As priests, there are some functions and responsibilities that we are supposed to carry as followers of Jesus Christ because now we are a priest of God. And it comes in the form of praises, good works, and just laying down our lives. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 through 16. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says this. Read the bold type. It says this. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. So right there, we get it. That because of Jesus Christ, we are made into these priests. That we are now part of the priesthood. And instead of killing animals, which we don't have to do anymore, it's very clear from the book of Hebrews that as priests of God, we are supposed to offer a continual sacrifice of praise, proclaiming our allegiance. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other God that we will worship. It's complete utter allegiance to him and him alone. Not to our parents, not to the gods of this world, not to anyone else, but our allegiance is to Christ. That's how you become a priest that functions in the sacrificial mindset that God, if I give you praise, if I proclaim my allegiance to you, I am actually now functioning as a priest of God. You also notice in that passage, it says what? Don't forget to do good. When you do good works, that's not driven by earning something, but you do it as a response. That's why when you obey God, when He says love people, and you love people, even though you don't feel like it, you love people, that is good work. When you serve people, when you join ministry teams, just a little pause there, dramatic pause. As you do good works, you are functioning as a priest of God. And then the famous passage in Romans chapter 12 verse 1 in the NIV says this, Therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as what? Come on, as a living sacrifice, or as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. For this is what? Your spiritual act of worship. So now, now it makes sense. Not only is he he's shaping our community by first forming his house, the spiritual house, the church. And as we're part of this church, the function that we have is that we are to lift up sacrifices unto God. It's through praise as we declare our allegiance to him. That's why it is a powerful thing when you're able to say, God, I worship you. And no other God's before you. Like something will happen in your life. And something will happen in your life group. In our church. In this city. And this is where I want to challenge some of you who are just living kind of lukewarm life or just comfortable Christianity. And what I'm trying to help, help you to understand is this. When you live your life radically for Jesus Christ... You make this declaration that Jesus Christ, he deserves all of my allegiance, everything that I have. You make that kind of statement and you live it out, you back it up. That becomes a tremendous sacrifice that God will be pleased and he will receive. Are you with me? Till this day, I have not seen any church, any life group, any person who's trying to follow God, if they are worshiping other things or if they're kind of lukewarm or they're like, you know what? I'm just going to be this much because I want to be comfortable. I've yet to see great things happen in their lives. To this day, if you know the secret, please let me know because I don't want to make any more. So I, I just want to be right here. It's very comfortable. Revivals. Nations being turned around. An increase, an uptick of people coming to know Jesus Christ, healing, miracles. What I've noticed is that in any of those kind of situations, these are people who are saying, God, you're my everything. I lay it all down. I'm just an instrument of for your pleasure. Whatever you want me to do, I, I, here I am, Lord. And I don't know about you, but I long for that not only in my life, but for our church. All I know is that if we are living in the last days, which I believe theologically we are in the last days, and there's a lot the Bible has to say about the last days. There will be persecutions, difficulties, pestilence, hardships that will come your way. And what I want to see is our church being raised up because we're part of the spiritual house. We're living stones made up of making up God's house. I want our house, God's house here, HMCC of Hong Kong, to be a place where we're raising up people for the end times. Now, I'm not going to get into all the weird, you know, you know, I'm talking about the end time people. They lock themselves up and they, st- they steal all the toilet paper, you know, and they're like, oh, hunker down, hunker down. Okay, I- I'm not talking about that, which, by the way, evil. <laughs> now, some of your parents have done that, so I'm not calling your parents evil. Well, let me first explain. When you jack up the prices of masks and toilet paper, because I, some of you are like, that's very shrewd, you know. Some of the business people are like, oh, that's really smart. Like, I could understand if you jack up the price because you're eating this incredible Kobe beef, marbled in such a way, level nine. Nine or ten grade, and you jack up the price. Yeah, only those with resources can eat that. But toilet paper, mask, just basic stuff and you jack up the price just to make money, that is how evil the heart is. I hope you understand that. Are you with me? You don't have to agree with me, but I'm just telling you. To me, if it's all about money, that's why I've said this whole situation has exposed our hearts and what's in Hong Kong's heart more than anything else. It's about materialism. It's about success. It's about safety and comfort more than anything else. And I don't know if it's righteous anger or just me just getting turned off by it. I see this and I'm like, there, if there's ever need for the gospel to go forth more than ever before, it's right now. Right now. Right here. Anyway. Those. I'm praying that God will wake us up. knows one of these days they will ration water and jack up the price basic necessities of life that's why you you need some nerdy people in your church so they'll teach you how to use your there's a process When we respond to God's goodness by being a living sacrifice, lifting up praises as a proclamation of our allegiance to him and him alone, and we start doing good works, then we are being God's priests. And this becomes our spiritual sacrifice, which entails worship and witness. Everyone say worship. And witness. That's the calling of a priest. It's worship. And witness. That's why I was, I was thinking. As I was preparing this message. What would it be like? Can you just try to imagine this with me for a moment. Can you imagine what would happen to our church if we became a very strong worshiping and witnessing church. Can you just imagine for a moment what that would be like? We're worshiping him because of all that he has done for us. We don't worship him because he's like driving us with a whip and saying, worship me, worship me. Like, oh, yes, Lord. But when we ponder and think about all that he has done, what the gospel means to us we can't do anything but to worship him that's the natural response in view of all of God's mercies that you've received in your life to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice for this is your spiritual act of worship if you imagine with me a community of people that are worshiping people i'm not when i say worship it's not just singing I'm talking about worship is that the object that we're worshiping is truly worthy of everything that we have. This is the reason why some of your witnesses, your witness is not strong. Because you're not willing to risk your life and lay it down for the gospel. So when people see this, they realize that your God is this big and very puny and that he doesn't have that much power in your life because you only give him this much of your heart. That's why when Jesus came and he gave all these parables, it was about people who found this great treasure, sold everything that they had, BRP, gave up everything so they could obtain it. That's when people will say, wow, you are willing to go that far for that treasure. It must be worth what? A lot. I want to challenge us. If someone were to look at your life and your relationship with Jesus Christ, can they see that Jesus that you worship is worth so much just because of how you live your life? Please don't misunderstand me. It's easy to take this into a dark place. But what I'm saying is that all your decisions, everything that you do is not about you. This is the reason why our witness is muted and is nooner. What we need are people who worship God because he alone is worthy of my whole life even if that means I die. That's why even though our theology is off, and I think there's a lot of like bad stuff involved, but when I look at some of the radical Muslims, the terrorists, like even though I don't agree, at least I respect them. Because they're willing to die for something that they believe in, even though it's false they're willing to die for something. That part I can respect. That's why they command so much attention from other people. That's why people are like, whoa, these guys are crazy. And that's why Christians are always at the butt end of all the jokes and not taken seriously. But What would happen if we go to some of the hardest places And not worry so much about our own lives as the Bible talks about of all the people of faith. That for them to love God and to love His mission and do the things that He has called us to do, that that is more important. Even as Paul said in the book of Acts, I consider my life worth nothing to me unless I could finish this race. The very thing that He has called me to do. I know for some of this is like really radical. like, oh my God, is this, I think I am in a cult. This is like really weird. i want to just challenge you and say this to you. I don't know who your pastor was prior to this. I don't know what church you were. And I'm not criticizing them in any way. I'm just challenging you to read the Bible and see where the consistency and the inconsistencies are. That's all I'm asking you to do. Because every single time I turn the page or I swipe a page, in the Bible about what Jesus demanded, it is humbling to me because I realize I myself and our church and what I see in Christianity in Hong Kong, we're so far away from what God has spoken in his word. Why are you so surprised that mothers are against their children? And the, the, Jesus talks about it. That's why he says count the cost. Don't be that foolish builder that builds but you realize you didn't count, that you don't have enough resources to finish building. Count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Verse 6 through 8. What Peter does is that he quotes three Old Testament passages. Let me give it to you really quickly. In Isaiah chapter 28 verse 16, he also quotes Psalm 118 and verse 22. And then Isaiah chapter 8 verse 14. Now why are all these verses important? Because by quoting these verses, Peter is reemphasizing the importance of Jesus being the chosen and precious cornerstone. He is the center. He is the very living stone in which everything is built around. Jesus in the center of it all. Let's not sing, maybe, if the Spirit leads, We'll sing that song. I don't know why that song just popped in my mind. So Jesus being the chosen and precious cornerstone, this is the center of which this everything is built around. He is the main event. But those who don't trust in Him will stumble because of their disobedience. Because they see that He is the Messiah, but they choose to refuse to obey in their stubbornness. That's why if we trust in Him, you will never be put to shame. You will never stumble. Because you will fall on this rock, Jesus Christ, and you could trust your whole life to him. But if you do not, and you trust in yourself, and you reject him, then that will become the stumbling stone for you. That's why we always have a choice. God will never force you to do anything. He will always give you a choice. And I'm wondering if God is sending trials and difficulties your way to wake you up and say, God, my allegiance is not 100% with you. I have all these other gods that I'm worshiping. Maybe some of these things are slowly evaporating. They're falling through like sand in your fingers and you realize I cannot build my life on things that are temporary. And God is bringing you back into that heart of worship to love him and to worship him alone. How about us this morning? Do you see your important role in building and shaping God's community? Because you're a living stone. And Christ is the living stone. I'm wondering if you and I, were functioning as priests in our lives, in this church, in your workplace, in your school. Are you functioning like a priest where you're representing God to the people and then you are interceding for people to God? And you're saying, God, open their eyes, help them to see. What kind of spiritual sacrifices are you lifting up? I pray that all of us will be able to lay down our lives for the gospel. For Jesus Christ, because he's worth it. I'm even thinking about life group. Are are some of us takers and not givers? You always take, but you never give. That's why even when you don't want to go, even though everyone's going to be online, but you don't want to be online. If you are a giver, it's not about you. Your mindset is, how can I bless somebody? Even though I'm tired, I'm exhausted, or I'm busy, I have other stuff to do, but I want to be a giver, so I want to go there to be able to bless at least one person. I want to give to at least one person. That's a whole different mindset. Because if you're a taker and you realize, well, this is not going to benefit me much, then you're not going to go. You're not going to commit to it. God is shaping our community. Let me close with this. That God is strengthening our community. Not only shaping it, but He's strengthening it. There are two areas in which God is working on us so that He can strengthen our community. And these are passages that some of you are familiar with. The first thing is this. Let let me just kind of put it in kind of more of an exhortation. In order to strengthen the community, we cannot forget our identity. Peter makes sure he makes sure that he addresses those who are he addresses uh, those people who are followers of Jesus Christ, and he makes sure that they understand why they do it rather than just doing it. So, let me just pause here and help us to kind of revisit a topic that we talk about quite a bit the temptation and struggle for many of us is that we operate with this human paradigm rather than the gospel paradigm. The human paradigm is all about the doing. Well, the gospel uh, paradigm is all about the being. Are you with me? So the human paradigm is about the doing. The gospel paradigm is about the being. The human paradigm is all about reacting To gain something or not to lose something. So I want you to just think about this. I know for some of you this might be review, but I want you to think about it deeply. Human paradigm on your left. Gospel paradigm on your right. Doing. Being. Reacting to gain something or not to lose something. What is this side? It is responding. There's a difference. Reacting to something and then responding to the gospel, to the goodness of God. The motivation is completely different because you could then react out of fear, out of pride. There's a lot of reasons that will cause you to react to different things. But when you respond to the goodness of God, it's humility, A sense of undeservedness, unworthiness. That's why when you serve and you operate in the human paradigm, you will get bitter. You don't want to do it anymore. You'll do it out of fear because other people expect it of you. That leader is pressuring you, whatever it may be, or you take it as a pressure. You serve God out of the gospel paradigm, it's a response to what He has already done in your life, and you're forever grateful. And you say, take my life, Lord. If that means I'm going to stay up all night to finish that, so one more person can come to know Jesus Christ, I'll do it. No one has to tell me, I'll do it. Because I love you. And I love your mission. Response, reaction. Doing, being. Now, why is all this important? Because this is how we operate when it comes to growth or holiness. And this is what he's been talking about in chapter 1 and even now in chapter 2 as he talks about community as we are part of God's house. Because some of us are trying to grow spiritually and even in holiness because it's from this paradigm rather than growing in holiness and growing in maturity with this paradigm. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones once said. He said, holiness is not something we are called upon to do in order that we may become something. This is very important. It is something that we are to do because of what we already are. A powerful thought. A lot of times we're like, oh yeah, I want to read the Bible. I want to serve. I want to do all this stuff because you want to try to become something. That's why some of you get so frustrated. That's why some of you lose heart. You get so dis- You're in despair. You don't see results. You're not effective. You're incompetent. And so you struggle because it's all about you. You're still incompetent. You still try on your own here. But the more you change your paradigm, you realize, God, it's not about me. It's about you. And that it'll cause your heart to worship, to pray, to be dependent on him. And that's when you feel this freedom because then he fills you, anoints you, and you do things that you have never done in your own strength before. You start seeing miracles in your life. You see people come to know Christ that you just had no business even witnessing but God is filling you and you're seeing people come to Christ. You're seeing fruits begin to multiply in your life. Your life group begins to grow because it's not about you. It's not about what people will think of you because you have a large life group or because you have brought many people to the Lord or you're so magnanimous in your personality that people are drawn to you because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. So instead of reacting, you're responding. I don't deserve anything. It's because of you, Jesus, that even I have breath and life. That's why in verse 9 and 10, and let me just quickly read the whole thing. I'm gonna, I was going to take it in section, but I'm going to just read it and just kind of highlight a couple things here. keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In closing this section, what Peter tries to do once again as he talks about shaping God's community, he's now talking about strengthening it. And the only way you can strengthen community is that if you do not forget about your identity. He gives four aspects of the identity. You, you we just read it. We're chosen, we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and people belonging to God. That is just part of your identity. If you really understood even d- just these four, it will transform your life. You belong to God. Can you imagine? So you won't have to struggle with acceptance. You won't have to struggle with trying to fit in. You belong to God. You're his. All your insecurities that some of you struggle with for how many years now? How many months? If you understood this, you realize I belong to God. He owns me. He possesses me. And that's what I was sharing in one of our Bible studies in our life group. I said, think about some of the auctions. You think about a pen. How much is it? I don't know, like 20 Hong Kong dollars. But why in the auction it's going for thousands, hundreds of thousands. A pen that only costs 20 Hong Kong dollars. is going for hundreds of thousands. Do you know why? It's because who owned it? Are you with me? God owns you. He possesses you. He made you. He created you. That's why you have value. Not because you're great, you do all these things, or you try to stay holy. If you understand this, I'm telling you right now, you will start walking in greater confidence in your life. That's how I can tell. I don't care what you know; it's how you live. And those people who are confident—not cocky, but confident in Christ—is they know this deep in their hearts. So even if their parents forsake them, even though all their friends around them forgets about them, forget about them, they know that they belong to God. You're chosen. When no one else would choose you. You're chosen by God, the God of the universe, who's bigger than you will ever know. You want that knight in that white horse and that shining armor? He's nothing. God, the Father, a royal priesthood. Man, we have a purpose in life. So I don't know what I want to do with my life. Yeah, why don't you start doing something in here, you know, what the Bible says, that maybe he will help you to find out other stuff. It's not just a preacher. You are part of what, hello? Everyone say royal. Royal, that also means like regal. That also means like kingish, kingdomish. You think it's just, Harry and Meg, come on, no. <laughs> a royal priesthood, there's a purpose. There's a sense of significance in what you can do and what he wants you to do. A holy nation, what does that mean? That you are part of something that's not like any other nation where the government might be corrupt. Do you know every single government in this world is corrupt? Do you know that? Hong Kong government is corrupt. Sometimes I'm like, listen, go to the United States for a little bit. It's corrupt there too. Go to North Korea. Every man made government here on this earth, there is corruption because it's led by human beings who are depraved and sinful. And if you could prove to me otherwise, you show me this utopian place. That's why, if you put your hope in a government, you're going to be disappointed. Put your hope in the government of God, his rule and his reign. You will never be disappointed. Just knowing these four things, things—just, just, there's so many, but just these four alone will give you a sense of value, dignity, significance, and purpose. That's why I love the message translation of these two verses. Listen to what it says but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the what? Hello? High calling. A priestly work. It's not just like, yeah, whatever. It's a high calling. Chosen to be a holy people. God's instruments to do His work and speak out for Him. What a great privilege. To tell others of the night and day difference He has made for you. Hello, some of you are still in the twilight and all I can say is, I hope some of you can say, I was so much in darkness, now I see. From nothing to something, from rejected to what? Accepted. Now, if you can't get excited about this, bottom line, your heart is dead. I don't know what more to say. Like, I, I, I was excited when I was preparing this. I'm, I'm more excited just preaching it now. Maybe tonight I'll be more excited just letting it sink in again. You cannot forget your identity and you cannot forget your influence because when we talked about this, he says what? You are sojourners and exiles. Listen to some of these things. You're aliens and strangers. That means you don't fit in. Everyone say, we don't fit in. in. (laughs) I don't mind you wearing the nicest fashionable clothes, the fashionable purses with the cool sunglasses and all that stuff. That's great. Please just be attractive and that's good but you're not going to fully fit in. Are you with me? You're not going to fit in because that's what the Bible says. We're we're aliens and strangers. The message translates: this world is not your home because our citizenship is in what? In heaven. But some of you act as if this is your home. Well, some of you are like, well, it is. You know, this is my home. Fragrant harbor. But really, it's where you live, but it's not really your home home. Heaven is. And NLT says temporary residents and foreigners. Do you know what that feels like? Those of you who studied abroad, you were a foreigner and temporary resident. That's what I feel like right now. So I have two more. Two more years, I'm gonna be like, woohoo! And then I heard when you turn 60, it's like $2 for all the, I, I'm ready. <laughs> Spending too much money traveling around. It's kind of interesting because I was having this talk with uh, some guys and we're just talking about this and. <laughs> And we were just talking about this whole idea that sometimes like the way we try to live our lives or this Christian life, like we have to live differently. Why do we have to live so differently? Can we just like, and I'm just like, that's the whole point. If you're just like the world, maybe you got to think about if you're saved or not. That's why I'm saying right now, we just kind of follow the crowd. This is the danger of Asia. You just do everything that people are just doing or telling you to do. I'm not saying be reckless. You know, don't take any precautions. You do all those things. I've been using a lot of hand sanitizer. I feel like my, my, my digits are going to be gone. You know, my My uh, fingerprints. Do everything you're supposed to be doing. And you come to church, we'll spray you know, all over. You know, we'll, we'll sanitize you. you know, we'll spray you good. But in a crisis like this, are you doing anything differently? So when, when the world sees you, they'll be like, what's going on? And that's why he says, even though they call you evildoers, because they don't understand why you do what you do, but when they see your good deeds... And when they see the humility and your desire to worship Jesus Christ, then they will praise God in heaven when he visits, which is when he comes back. Oh, brothers and sisters, I I just pray that God will somehow do something in our hearts. And that's why the one thing, once again, is that when we have a church community, we can face any adversity in our lives because it's God who's shaping it. It's God who's strengthening it. If I can encourage you with this, just make your identity rooted in Christ. Make this something that you continue to work on. Make this one of the next steps for you. How, how, pastor? Read the Bible. Write down some of the things that the Bible says you are. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Pull upon it. Rely upon it. Abide in it. Strengthen your identity or make a pact or commitment with people around you that you will say, hello, child of God. It sounds so crazy, right? But my thing is, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Hello, forgiven sinner of the Lord. That's why the angel came to Mary and says, "Although you are highly favored," she's not like whatever that means. <laughs> no, you're like, whoa. So can you imagine going up to someone, "You are highly favored by God." I know it sounds ridiculous, but sometimes we gotta be ridiculous to get the point across. Strengthen, just make your identity rooted in Christ. Quickly, second thing is investment in life Make that investment. If we really believe we're part of God's spiritual house, then don't be a taker, be a giver. Whatever it takes to give. Make that investment, the time, the energy. And then lastly, make your influence count. As you strengthen your identity, make your influence count. There are people around you that are in such great need of the gospel. There are so many people that you can influence in subtle ways, not overpowering them, but subtle influence, the way you respond, the way you serve, the way you love. Influence people around you at the workplace. Influence people around your neighborhood, wherever you may be. And that's when you're going to see God work powerfully. I started off talking about our mind and the things that we believe. And until our mind is completely renewed by the power of God, many of us are going to continue to live in this lot. And when you face the trials in your life, you're going to turn to your flesh and just find anything that will help alleviate what you're going through. And oftentimes that will lead to sin. But I pray that we will renew our mind because that's how we get transformed by the renewing of the mind. Identify any lies or deceit that you have believed in. Renounce that. Repent of that. And then find your identity back in Christ. And may you respond in that way. I want to show you this two-minute clip really briefly about Tony Evans. Some of you might know him. He's a pastor. And he heads up the Urban Alternative, which is a ministry in the States. And he was giving this talk. And he was talking about how our minds are so imprisoned. And until it is set free, we're not going to be able to experience all that God has for us. So you'll hear his voice, but then you will see on the screen just illustrations of the words that he's saying and the words that he is speaking will show forth. Afterwards, I want to respond to God in prayer and humble submission and repentance. And I pray that we will become that living sacrifice for the glory of God. So let's watch this together. I got chills. Let's stand together as we close. Man, it just breaks my heart every time I see people who say, I'm a follower of Jesus. And just like that story at the end, they have chains all over them. There are times when I just sit in my office or try to work on things. I sometimes wonder, is this even working? Is this even worth it? Because I meet with people... I meet with some of them weekly, and I'm just thinking, I don't know if it's worth it. I don't think it's worth my time. I don't think it's worth my energy. And then I start getting cynical. I'm like, is this gospel thing actually, does it even work? Then I kind of border and teeter on like crazy thoughts. God send the worst persecution. Just destroy all of us you know that, that that's a fatalistic mentality that's how we will really know who are the genuine believers when there's extreme persecution we're being tortured and you either deny christ or you die for him then we'll know that all these little decisions we have to make which to you is big decisions maybe all those things will only really matter have to kind of pull back and I realize that's not good. (laughs) Yes, I am your pastor. And you're probably thinking, he's a scary pastor. Why is he thinking all these bad thoughts? And that's when I have to repent and realize, God, it's not about me. It's not about what I do. And I'm sharing part of this because I think the last two to three weeks, like, I don't think I've really actually realized it until more recently. Like, I've been mentally, emotionally, and spiritually drained. I don't know, maybe it's just me. And then I was thinking, why am I feeling what I'm feeling? And I realized, man, for the last two to three weeks, I've been trying to help leaders to understand like some basic stuff that I'm like, you are a leader if you don't even believe this gospel message for yourself, like how are you going to lead other people? But then I'm like be patient Seth, it took you a long time for you to realize this yourself. So I'm wrestling in my mind, in my heart. And then I'm looking at, not the leaders, but just our members in our church. And usually I have a higher expectation for leaders. And I look at the members and all of you and I realized man they need a lot of shepherding. So I met with some of you trying to talk through some of these things kind of listening but also challenging helping you to see some of those things the sin areas of your life so that you can own up to it. And as I've been kind of going through this for the last three some weeks, then i was thinking no wonder i'm feeling what i'm feeling this is kind of like this heaviness and then i was thinking to myself in this whole process i totally forgot that there's a thing called the spiritual warfare and some of us are that clueless and i found myself forgetting what i already know but just forgetting because i just see what's in front of me I have to tackle whatever it is before me. And I realize maybe there's this spiritual element that I've totally forgotten. That Satan is using something like this to scare people. To kind of put them in the fear of that chain and that peg. To literally immobilize and to just completely defang... If Fighting for the kingdom of God. And that's why when I went to prayer last night, when we were at the, or two days ago during the uh, special prayer gathering, whatever I was feeling prior to coming in, all I can say was that I felt a little bit lighter in my spirit. Can I get a good amen? You guys know what I'm talking about? Then I was thinking, this is not rocket science. Like what I was feeling was because there is something going on on the spiritual realm, and Satan is using to totally distract and to discourage Christians, who we should be the ones who are not distracted, not discouraged, because we have this living hope, the living word, and the living stone. So I want to challenge us. I know the message that I shared was not an easy message as well. The hope. You better buckle up because 1 Peter is not a very pleasant book. Well, I guess it depends on how you look at it. Because it got me encouraged as I realized man, I've been off. And so I want to challenge us with as we go through the book of 1 Peter, may it rivet us, may it grip our hearts. That will lead us to repentance. Your kindness, Lord, lead us lead us to repentance. And whatever it is that's hindering us from living completely sold out for Jesus. I pray that He will expose that in our hearts. It could be idols, it could be your own little dream, your selfishness, whatever, whatever it is. I don't know what it is. And at this moment, I don't really care. God knows. And he's dealing with you. That's why you're going through what you're going through. And he's trying to get your attention. And he wants you to start growing up. Continue to drink the spiritual milk. But there will come a time where you cannot keep on drinking spiritual milk. You gotta start eating spiritual meat. You gotta start leading other people. You gotta start discipling other people. You gotta start reaching out. You cannot rely all on the pastor or the leaders because they're gonna they're gonna get burnt out. grow up and the more you say well they'll take care of it and stuff I'm telling you right now that church is gonna die we're always one generation away from a church from being extinct somewhere along the line the Holy Spirit has to convict you and you say I'm tired of acting like a little child spiritually I'm tired of just drinking this gaga goo goo milk and I want to grow up Maybe, possibly through this situation with all the trials that I'm going through in my life it is waking me it is teaching me to grow up I pray that something by the power of the Holy Spirit will convict us and that we will say God I don't want to just sit and drink lemonade and enjoy the ride I want to i want to start paddling i want to start moving lead us as a church so father i just pray that you will you will form your house here in hong kong your spiritual house because you are the living stone and we are living stones that are being put together stone by stone brick by brick so we could be a strong house It will be like a tower that people run to when the storms come. But, Father, right now, with the storm that's coming and it's already here, many of us are being pushed back and we are crumbling. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask, Lord, that you'll strengthen our hands, strengthen our feeble knees, that we'll mount up on wings as eagles, will walk and not be weary. Help us to soar, to fly. And it's not for us, Lord. Because there's 7.4, almost 7.4 million people who are lost without You. And another 1.4 billion people up north who do not know You. God, I pray that You will convict us get us out of our spiritual slumber awaken our hearts because of the gospel once again and as we know your heart Lord as we think about all your mercies that we will lay down our lives because of that mercy and say God as a living sacrifice here I am and here I stand Lord raise up another generation Lord God a people will lay down their lives they will not consider their lives worth much unless they can live for you oh lord god i pray that as the gospel becomes so real to us may we take it to the nations even some of the hardest places start right here in hong kong there are many in our dorms there are many in our workplaces even though we're working from home I pray that you will give us creativity, give us Lord God ways to be able to Lord reach out to people. Help us to be priests, to be able to represent you to others, and to intercede for these people before you Lord, But they don't know their left hand from the right. But we have the hope, the living hope, we have the living word, we have the living stone, Thank you. I Thank you that you're bringing us out of complacency. And you're stirring us. Challenging us. I just pray that you'll raise up more prayer warriors in our church. People who will intercede. That's what's going to break some of these strongholds. We need prayer. We need prayer, Lord. We need strong men and women who will stand. Will fight. So by your grace, Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just feel like I, I want to. I want us to pray. And those of you who have another appointment, you have to go. Please, we're not going to judge you. If you have to go, we understand. You can you can leave whenever you need to but man I don't know about you but I just feel this tremendous weight this burden just like we prayed on Friday night if we could just humble ourselves and seek his face as we pray I'm wondering if you will come and heal our land heal our church heal Hong Kong so come Lord God right now in the name of Jesus and just just do the work only you can do come on church I'm I'm just going to encourage us just lift up some prayers to the Lord right now whatever God is speaking to you about come on verbalize it to Him if you need strength pray for strength greater dependence things that are gripping your heart let's lay it down at the foot of the cross let's not leave here this morning without 100% confidence in the living stone the living hope that we have the living word that we hide in our hearts come on let's just pray for Hong Kong let's pray for the hurting those who have already lost loved ones because of this let's believe by faith God's going to open up new doors for the glory of God come Holy Spirit Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.